Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 63rd edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is technology-assisted review for smart people. We're delighted to welcome as today's guest our friend John Tredanik, the CEO of Catalyst Repository Systems, which offers the world's fastest and most powerful document repositories for large-scale discovery and regulatory compliance. Before founding Catalyst, John spent over 20 years as a nationally known trial lawyer and litigation partner at a major national firm. He's the author or editor of five legal technology books, including his latest, Tar for Smart People. Thanks for joining us today, John. Well, thank you both, Sharon and John. I'm looking forward to it. It's a great topic, and it'll be a lot of fun, and it's a get-together of old friends. <laughs> it is a reunion of sorts. <laughs> a l- long time, isn't it? Not old? <laughs> yeah, old is a dirty word. My great aunt always tells me that. John, the first thing I'd like to do is to thank you for sending us a copy of your book, Tar for Smart People, uh, which I've had a chance to look at, and I just think it's phenomenal. So um, I hope that you'll answer two questions for me, because I'd like other people to have a chance to get this book. So please let them know where they can get a copy of the book and how, and where you got the title for the book Itself. Well, thanks for asking. It's kind of a cute title. You know, there, there are a lot of books out uh, for dummies, the whole dummy series. And I was surprised when I saw a couple books out by other good companies uh, around predict, called Predictive Coding for Dummies. And I thought, gosh, I've been in this industry for 30 years, I'm embarrassed to say, or more. And I've met very few dummies, rather a lot of smart people who wanted to learn something about technology-assisted review. So I told people in the book that I was writing for them, the smart people who want to learn about TAR. And where might you get this? Um, We did this as a public service. It is uh, available free. You can download it off our website, or if you write to me, I'll send you a print copy of the book. Uh, But you can get it, and, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. I know they will, and many of those who are listening will also be fans of Bob Ambrosi, and, and he is one of the co-authors of the book, so that's another good reason to uh, pick it up. Well, I'm a fan of Bob Ambrogi's, and he's our communications director, and we've worked together many years. And Yeah, he is part of the book, and he helped tremendously in putting it together. Well, see, that's, that's why it's in the title, because he's one of those smart people. <laughs> he is indeed, and so are you, too. <laughs> Well, John, we've we've heard a lot of different terms uh, uh, revolving around all of this stuff. Can can you tell our listeners what is technology assisted review and how does it differ from predictive coding or computer assisted coding? Well, there are a lot of different names for this process. Uh, computer assisted review is what what it was called in really the first cases. Uh, predictive coding is a term some used. Intelligent review. We've always called it predictive ranking because the system really ranks documents. But the industry settled, or the Sedona Group has settled on technology assisted review or TAR. And some people get confused and think, well, gosh, I use technology to to research case law and I use it to write my briefs. And so everything's technology assisted. And that's true enough, but but many in the industry have settled on technology assisted review really to describe that predictive coding process, computer assisted coding. 
So we know that we have a lot of smart people that are going to be listening to this, but even the smart people, many of them don't know a whole lot about technology-assisted review. So can you explain what it consists of? Sure. As much as some people try to make this process complicated, it, it's very simple. Complicated behind the scenes, perhaps, but so is running your car these days. But the process itself is simple. There are really three things involved, and the way it works is stuff we know well. The three things involved are these. Uh, point number one, TAR, predictive coding, predictive ranking, is, is simply a process through which humans work with a computer to teach it to identify relevant documents. Just that, to identify relevant. And by relevant, I take my trial lawyer hat off for a moment. I don't mean relevant as might be defined for admissibility at trial. I mean something more broad, relevant to whatever your inquiry is. And as I'm sure we're going to discuss, you use this for a lot of things. So relevant is a digital statement, a yes or no statement. If it is relevant or responsive to my inquiry, that's a thumbs up. And if it's not, it's a thumbs down. So it's a process by which humans work with a computer. And secondly, and uh, most importantly, it is a process by which the computer orders the documents for your review by relevance and does so to make the review far more efficient. And the third uh, element to technology-assisted review, and this frankly is optional, but it's the one most people focus on, it is the notion that if we teach the computer about relevance and it gets smart about it, and if it orders the documents, placing the relevant ones at the front, then we have the option of stopping our review before we've gone through 100% of the documents. We stop the review after we have found a sufficiently high percentage of relevant documents that it's reasonable to stop. And the whole key to the savings ties into these three essential uh, features of technology-assisted review. If you can order the documents by relevance, you're looking at the most important ones first, and you're looking at similar kinds of documents, similar themes. So your review is more effective than a linear review, which is bouncing around from a newsletter to uh, a memo on new HR policies to the smoking gun to three emails about lunch, etc., if the smoking guns are grouped, you're more efficient on that end. And then if you choose to review everything, you can move more quickly through the irrelevant stuff. But ultimately, the big thing is that the courts allow and recognize that it is reasonable to stop that review after you've identified a reasonable percentage of relevant, such as 80%. So those are the three elements of it. And yet the process is so simple, we use it every day. So, so John, tell us a little bit about why, why is TAR so important? You bet. So let me give you an example. Uh, one of our clients, a bigger client to be sure, but this applies to anybody. Uh, and this client was a bank, and they were responding to a, a demand, and they had collected 2.1 million documents that they had culled and tried to remove the junk from, and they'd done every trick in the book but they were down to 2.1 million documents. And a quick sample of the 2.1 million documents suggested that maybe one out of 100 of these documents 
was actually relevant, meaning to be produced, important to the case, whatever. Uh, yet they were faced with cost of what could be six, seven, eight million dollars of a review if you used uh, two dollars, three dollars a document for human review. Well, the client was not happy about those kind of costs merely for a production, and no client is. So we suggested let's try a different approach than the traditional linear review, the traditional start from the beginning, go to the end, and when you're done, you're done. We said let's use this new TAR process, a, a protocol of TAR we call continuous active learning. In that world, as the review progresses and the team marks documents relevant or not relevant, and as I mentioned, responsive or not responsive, whatever you want to call it, the algorithm, the computer algorithm watches and learns from your behavior. It gets smarter about what terms are most commonly found in the documents you're marking relevant and what terms are most commonly found in the documents marked irrelevant. And as it's getting smarter, it is reordering the deck on a continual basis to present the reviewers with the documents it thinks are most likely relevant. And the reviewers give it instant feedback because they are tagging and the algorithm is learning. A lot of people try to make this complicated, but the fact is every one of our listeners who uses something like Pandora Internet Radio is doing a process very much like TAR. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> Pandora Internet Radio has one goal in mind. They have tens of millions of songs, and their only goal is to play music that you like. How do they know what you like? Well, they could start randomly, start with a polka and then a symphony or what have you, but instead they say, why don't you start me out by telling me the artists you like? <clears throat> so I like Jimmy Buffett, for example, and I might say that. Well, Pandora will oblige, typically, by playing a Jimmy Buffett song. Maybe a pirate looks at 40, one of my favorites. So I like that, and I'm happy. And the next song comes up, and this time it's by somebody different. The algorithm says, well, if he likes Jimmy Buffett, he might like Zach Brown. And those of you who know Zach Brown know he's, uh, he's a lot like Jimmy Buffett. I think he's the Jimmy Buffett incarnate, and I like Zach Brown. So I now give Pandora some feedback. I click on the green thumbs up button and say, yes, I like that. Play me more Zach Brown on my station. Well, the next song comes up, and this time, perhaps it plays a, a Toby Keith song. And some of you all know that Toby did some duets with Jimmy Buffett, and there's some similarities, some differences. But this one doesn't work for me. To me, it's too much country. Forgive this. This is a hypothetical country music, listeners, but I give it a thumbs down. I, <laughs> I hit the red button. Now, what I've done is I've educated the algorithm about what I like and don't like. And with Pandora, as just about everybody these days knows, it continues to cycle. It might throw in another Buffett song and a Zach Brown, and it might try a few others. But very quickly, it gets amazingly smart about the kind of music I want to listen to. And I can create as many stations as I want. But we've done the same thing for TAR. So imagine this team. They've got 2.1 million documents, 
One in a hundred are relevant, and that means they'd have to click through a hundred each time just to find one. Uh, but instead, we give it some documents to start, just like saying Jimmy Buffett. And it could be as many documents as you want, and you can find through interviews, searches, you name it. But I feed it in one document, a hundred documents, 50,000 in some cases we've done where they, let's say there's been an earlier review and they're already tagged. So we feed those in and I immediately have told the system something about what I'm looking for. Now the review team gets a new batch and uh, to make it simple, predict our insight product, feeds them a hundred of the most relevant documents based on what we've learned so far. Well, early on, maybe only five are marked relevant because the algorithm's learning. But in this case, the team began to see very quickly that 25 and 30 and, and even up to 35 of the 100 were relevant, were tag relevant. And what that means is the review is progressing 25 times, 30 times, 35 times faster. And in a continuous learning process, there comes a point when you stop seeing relevant documents. And this means the system's running out. It's pushed so many to the front that um, <clears throat> you've succeeded, and there are very few left. In our case, when they stopped, they did what you can always do, which is do a sample of what's left behind to try to estimate how many relevant documents you've missed that you haven't found. And so they did a very, they were being conservative, so they, they surveyed over 6,000 documents and found something like two relevant. And what that meant statistically, and I know this isn't a course on stats, but it's this simple. It meant statistically they had found 98% of the relevant documents out of the 2.1 million. And yet they had stopped their review at 6.4% of the way along. In other words, reviewing like 130,000 documents rather than 2.1 million. So a long-winded answer to why is this important, it's important for two big reasons. It saves you a lot of money on review. In that case, um, 90, 93%, 94% didn't have to be reviewed, and it brings the good stuff to the front which means you learn about your case quicker. Well, John, you're very persuasive behind a bully pulpit, so, so thank you for, for that. That that really was a very, uh, it was a comprehensive answer. And let, let me ask you something, because I know from reading your book that this is not new, brand new technology, but I would guess that most people think it is. So can you explain why it is not? <laughs> well, it's funny. We did some digging, and we found uh, a master's thesis from a computer science department focusing on what they called relevant feedback in automated document retrieval systems. And what was fun about it was two things. One, it was dated in 1969, which is um, now, I'm embarrassed to say it, but 55, 56 years ago when they were talking about this process that it is the same as technology-assisted review. The academics call it relevance feedback, a process by which that humans interact with the computer to give it feedback about relevance. That's still what they call it today, and they've been researching it for longer than that, but that's uh, it's almost 60 years. And the other fun one for me is to think back to what the automated document retrieval system was like in 1969, because it certainly wasn't anything like we're using today. But it's been going, and now these kinds of predictive technologies are used 
in not just Pandora, but weather forecasting and of image recognition. And uh, we can be sure the three-letter agencies are using this technology every day, all day. Uh, I don't know how they get the data that they look at, but uh, but they have a way. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to know. <laughs> it's called That's right. it's called warrantless gathering. <laughs> John, what is the actual process when you're involved in a tar project? Well, as much as there's deep algorithmic technology going on, the process itself is simple. There are just a few steps, at least in the world we live in. The first is you have to collect your documents, uh, and of course you always have to do that. Uh, and they can be paper, they can be digital, emails, you name it. But you collect them together and you load them into the system and the system does what I would call shred the documents. And by shredding, I don't mean physically ripping them up, but it is extracting text and analyzing that text so it can understand the frequency with which words appear in certain documents and the commonality of words across documents and the like. So step one is you've got to get the documents and you've got to get them into the system. After that, it's just like Pandora again. <clears throat> you start by giving the system an idea of what you're looking for. And we're not in the Siri world yet where I could say, Siri, I've got a breach of contract case, and this looks bad. Please get me the relevant documents. But I do the same thing by feeding in, and it could be a part of the complaint. It could be a part of the request for productions or it could be 50 or, as I said earlier, a 1,000 documents that are relevant so it can know to go look for them. After that, again, it's just like Pandora. The system analyzes what I've submitted. It ranks the documents. It then presents me, batch by batch, documents that it thinks are most likely relevant. I look at them. I mark them. I do my review job, and I continue until the system runs out of relevant. Or I'm satisfied. I've met my objective. You can stop anytime you want, or you can review to the very end if you want. But that's the process. That's all there is to it other than a final test at the end if you need it to confirm to the court or otherwise that we've reached our mark and we've stopped at a fair point. And that's done quite simply by a random sample of whatever it is you don't review. Well, John, I guess like all things with technology, we have these upgrades and different versions and whatever. So can you tell our listeners what TAR 2.0 is and how that's different from the first version, TAR 1.0? I sure can. I actually gave it the name TAR 2.0 because I was trying to describe a newer class of TAR algorithms that worked very different from the first generation. And while there are many differences, the simplest is this. The TAR10 products, and they're the most of the ones we know about, were all built around a one-time training metaphor. If I go back to Pandora, imagine that Pandora said, okay, give me a list of your artists, and then I'll play you music, but after you've clicked 10 thumbs up or down, we're done. And after that, I'm going to do my best job to play music you like. We went into the marketplace and said, why would you stop? after one-time training, often done by the senior lawyer subject matter expert. And so we pioneered what we call continuous learning, and later some of the scholars call continuous active learning. And just like Pandora, we said, why wouldn't you keep learning? Your review team looks at 10,000 documents and tags them. Why wouldn't you feed that information back to the algorithm? 
Well, it turned out we would show our research on why what you'd think would happen happened. The algorithm got smarter, and it found the relevant documents quicker, and you reviewed far less. Independent researchers have since come out and validated this in tests that had nothing to do with us, no connection, but they they showed conclusively that you review far less documents and you get the relevant ones far quicker, dramatically quicker, with a continual learning over a TAR-10 one-time training process. I know that there's a lot of ways that people are using TAR, but can you describe some of them for the audience? I can, and the question ties nicely into the distinction between TAR-2 and TAR-10. In the TAR-10 world, you had to bring in a senior lawyer who had to look at many thousands of documents, uh, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, to get the training right. And it had limitations because if you found new documents, you couldn't just add them in. You had to do a new training and go over and over. And so in the TAR-10 world, we were all pretty much convinced that while this process was revolutionary and brought about dramatic savings, that it only applied to the biggest of cases. In a TAR-20 continuous training, you don't need the senior expert. Review teams can jump in with one training document or as many as you've got. And what it means is that you can use this not only in big cases but in small cases. And in a system like ours, you can have as many different issues going as you want. So you can use it for early case assessment, very quickly figuring out what's important. Not only, and you can use it for, of course, outbound productions, but also inbound productions. You can use it for QC, for privilege review, for preparing a deposition for the deposition of a of a key witness. And so, the fun of a TAR 2.0 is that it eliminated really just about or all the limitations, and it opened up this process to where I predict, with an integrated system, people are going to use it every time. If you have 10,000 documents to review, and I could show you or convince you that with a, a Cal TAR 2.0 system, you could be done after reviewing 3,000 documents and still have found 90% of the relevant ones, everybody kind of understands $2 a doc or 3 or whatever. The savings, even on a small case like that, 7,000 times 2 is $14,000. Um, and so I believe you're going to find this used very pervasively in all kinds of cases. Well, John, I think everybody would be asking, what's the cost to enter? <laughs> it sounds like a great club, but, yeah, but, but what's the cost of entry? Well, we're in a competitive market, and the prices fluctuate, and as we get the technology nailed down, it drops. It's going close to zero. What I can tell you for certain is it is a fraction, a fraction, a small fraction of the review savings in every case. You know, one of the things we did recently to try to help people get over the hump of the newness or the concern, what am I paying the fees for, is we offered an unconditional money-back guarantee on every TAR project. You can use it and at least 90 days, you know, so there's some boundaries. But if you're not satisfied that you've saved multiples of the cost, just say so. We'll turn it off and your money back. That's a pretty good deal. No questions asked, no conditions. Well, John, I think, you know, I, I do digital forensics and expert witnessing and testifying and all that and in court. And so I'm very concerned about a lot of the tools that we use to, to generate, to gather that evidence and whatever. But what are, what are the courts saying about, about TAR usage? Well, that's a hot, hot question. And it has been since 2012 when that first case, Judge Peck and De Silva Moore came out, and he, uh, he expressly endorsed 
the use of, he called it computer-assisted review at the time, but TAR review. And we've had a dozen cases since then, and while I won't say the courts approved the process, in every case they approved the process, uh, either you know agreeing to a stipulation, working through it, going forward. We don't have a case on record that said, you may not use TAR or TAR is not reliable. I will say that the most recent decision of which I'm aware, ironically, is also Magistrate Judge Peck out of the Southern District, and he was presiding over a TAR 1.0 case where they were fighting about the TAR 1.0 protocols. If you have the senior expert reviewing, do I get to look over his or her shoulder and uh, and see if I agree with how he tagged? Because in a world of one-time training, every tag matters, maybe influences 10,000 documents. And Judge Peck pointed out uh, something we've been saying, <clears throat> that in a cow world, every document is a training document, and my seat set is what I produce to you. So he pointed out in, in the Rio Tinto case that if they just used cow, it would have gone a lot easier for him. Well, John, we sure want to thank you for joining us today. You make a compelling case for TAR 2.0, which I'm not surprised about. I, the book really is fantastic. It, it, it's backed by science, and you can read the science, but it makes every attempt to not go too far into the weeds and to make it understandable. And it, it is a book for smart people. This is this is not something that the average person would probably pick up. But if, if you're interested in uh, TAR, I think they're going to find this a very compelling read. So thank you again for being our guest today, John. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, John. And I like to say it's it's just a book for people who like their coffee black. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect description. (laughs) Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.